So you're an attorney and you've decided to go out on your own. Now what? You need a plan and you're not alone. Join expert host Adriana Linares and her distinguished guests on New Solo. Tune into the lively conversation as they share insights and information about how to successfully run your law firm here on Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to New Solo on Legal Talk Network. This is Adriana Linares, and today I'm coming to you from my favorite city, what I consider the greatest city in America. I'm in my New Orleans home, office, and apartment, so I'm excited to be here this week. And I am really excited to be talking to Reba Nance and Bill Gibson today. We're going to be talking about some basic things that uh, solo attorneys getting started need to make sure and take care of right off the bat. Before we introduce today's topic, though, I want to make sure to thank our sponsor, Solo Practice University. Without them and all our other sponsors, it'd be a little hard to get these things done, so we thank them very, very much. On our last episode, Susan Cartier-Liebel told us how to stay motivated and on track while getting your solo practice up and running. And today, I'm very excited to introduce these two experts, Reba and Bill, to talk to us about some of uh, the basic administrative stuff that you have to do. Bill Gibson has practiced law in Portland, Oregon since 1979 and concentrated his practice on personal injury litigation. He began serving as an arbitrator and mediator in the early 1990s and has been working as a full-time neutral since 2000. He's past chair of the ABA Law Practice Division and former president of the College of Law Practice Management. He's written several books on law practice management, including one of the latest ABA books called Flying Solo. Hey, welcome, Bill. Thank you. Thank you, Adriana. Tell us real quick a little bit about Flying Solo and why solo attorneys should definitely fly out and buy it. Well, Flying Solo uh, is a book that's written by uh, 20 of the smartest kids in the class. And they cover topics from uh, marketing to uh, the basics of setting up your firm, some of the topics we'll talk about today, to uh, the important technology issues. And this edition of the book, the fifth edition, is really heavy on social media, cloud computing, virtual law practice, and all of the hot topics that we're all talking about. That's great. And I'm also very excited to have Reba Nance with us. She's one of the funniest and nicest ladies I know in the business. She's the law practice management and risk management manager of uh, the Colorado Bar Association. She's a highly regarded practice management expert. She advises lawyers on nearly every aspect of running a law practice. And in addition to her role with the Colorado Bar Association, she's a frequent presenter on topics such as legal technology and malpractice prevention, which she's going to be talking to us a little bit about today. She's the first female chair of the ABA Tech Show. Reba, I didn't know that. Well, thanks. Yeah, it was uh, quite an honor, I have to say. That's awesome. Maybe someday I'll get to uh, ascend to such great levels as I continue my work with the Law Practice Management Division. I can only hope. Uh, Reba, quick question for you. I was sort of, you know, stalking the Colorado Bar and looking around on the internet, and I came across the YouTube page uh, and channel, and I noticed that you have a lot of great videos that are specific toward practice management and technology out there. Are there any other? Well, first, tell us a little bit about the channel and why solo attorneys should go out there and look at those videos, and then any other resources that you help put together for the Colorado Bar that we might tell them about? Well, thanks. Um, you know, I'm a practical woman. I really like to 
put information out there that people can use, take back to their office um, to practice more efficiently, frankly, make more money, be less stressed, and serve clients better. So there are a number of things that we've done um, that I'm actually very proud of. We started a program called Tech Tuesdays. And once a month, we do a 30-minute webinar only on technology products um, or technology information uh, out there that we then record so that folks can access it after the fact. Um, we've got a short, uh, a shortened URL, cobar.org slash techtuesdays. Um, I always do a tip um, in each of our uh, electronic newsletters. It goes out every other week, and those have been really well received. Um, I'm really happy about that. And we just tried to do as much as we can to put a lot of information out there on the website to benefit as many folks as we can. Well, that's great. I'm going to encourage all of our listeners to go out there and check it out. I think it's one of the best done YouTube channels by a bar association that I've seen. So that's great. Well, let's go ahead and get started, dive into our topic. I want to start with Bill. And I want to ask you, Bill, if I was a new solo going out today and I wanted to choose what entity type I should go with, what do I choose? And then how do I go about making some smart decisions based on that factor? This is one of those topics that is so technical that you really need to get help. You really need to talk to a CPA. Uh, as lawyers, we, we think we know about everything. I think that's a, a common failing in our profession. Uh, we get a little bit of knowledge and we persuade juries and we persuade judges, but persuading the IRS is a whole different matter. So what you need to do is get an accountant who really knows about all of this. Uh, Basically, if you're starting as a solo, you have two choices. You, you can either go as a uh, sole practitioner, and to do that, you need to do absolutely nothing except get your tax ID number from the IRS, which you can do online, uh, or you can incorporate in different states. They have different designations for what it means to be an incorporated lawyer. Uh, there's really no difference uh, in terms of uh, limiting your liability, if you, if you have an associate and the associate commits malpractice in your corporation, you may uh, avoid being responsible for that associate's uh, malpractice. But on the other hand, if you're the supervisor, you'll probably get sued for not adequately supervising the attorney. So as a practical matter, it doesn't make any difference in terms of liability. Uh, where there are some differences is in uh, taxation and deduction of benefits and uh, retirement plans and things like that. But uh, this is one of those issues that you can't, uh, you can't just go online, read some uh, IRS circulars, read some uh, other websites and think that you have it mastered. It's, it's technical, the devil is in the details. And you really need to have somebody to hold your hand. I mean, keep in mind, there are people who think about this stuff all day, every day. And uh, for a new solo, you confront it for the first time, you make a decision, then you probably don't think about it for five or ten years. So I'd rather, I'd rather go with advice for somebody who makes a living thinking about this stuff and uh, keeping up with all the, the latest news from the IRS and, uh, and other agencies. Well, right, and that seems not just good advice from that standpoint, but also you're going to need an accountant 
for as long as you have a business. So you might as well start from the beginning, establishing a relationship with someone that you like and is helpful and then have that long-term relationship, right? So go straight to CPA. That's absolutely right. And I have to say, just as, as an aside, I had the best CPA for about five years and then he got caught uh, stealing a million dollars from some oh, lady. From you? No, from some nice <laughs> And uh, uh, he spent five years in prison, and he was so good, I'd probably use him again, but he can't practice anymore. <laughs> That's great. All right, so we got that handled. So let's talk a little bit about banking. Reba, what about my business accounts, my trust accounts? Where do I start with that sort of stuff? You know, first, um, I recommend that all lawyers read the rules of professional conduct and the ethics opinions for their particular states because not all states have the same rules and not all of them have adopted the ABA model rules in their entirety. So when I'm speaking today, I'm speaking specific to Colorado. Um, and again, just make sure that you check your own state's rules. First of all, you're going to need an operating or a business account, and then you might need a trust account. Um, all monies you earn must go into your business or operating account. You can also have other accounts if you wish. For instance, I know firms that have a petty cash account, um, and that's perfectly fine. Rule 1.15 typically tells you what must be printed on the checks and gives you other guidelines to follow. Um, now, whether you need a trust account or not depends. Um, and again, in Colorado, uh, it, Colorado's a state I'll be speaking to. You only need one in Colorado if you hold money for third parties. The idea is you can't commingle your money with your client's money. So, for instance, if you have a retainer um, that was paid to you for fees that you have not yet earned or for disbursements, that money does not belong to you and it must go into a trust account. If you have gotten money for a settlement for a client matter, if you're holding money in escrow, that sort of thing, all of those would need to go into a trust account. Now, in terms of opening one, um, Colorado has a list of approved banks and you must open an account with those banks. The reason those banks are approved is because they have an agreement with our Office of Attorney Regulation to notify them immediately if there's a check presented for non-payment. Basically, if you bounce a check, they'll let them know and then, of course, you're going to get a call right away. A, a, a real-world example, I got a call from a lawyer who thought that the bank was approved because the person answering the phone said, sure, we can open trust accounts, and when in fact they were not on that list. Um, so a couple tips, uh, make sure that you reconcile those accounts regularly. In some states, it's monthly. In Colorado, it's quarterly. Uh, you have a duty to supervise, so make sure that you're involved in that reconciliation and you don't just have staff handle it. Uh, in a perfect world, I recommend that your trust account and your operating account are in different banks. That way, you avoid a friendly um, personal banker, for instance, who in Colorado called up uh, one of his um, clients and said, I see that your operating account is low, so I've transferred money from your trust account. Into your operating account. Yeah. Um, he was just being no helpful. Idea. Yeah, he was. He was. But, <laughs> but of course, the, uh, you know, the lawyer was really concerned, as he should have been. Have statements sent to your home, not your office. That way, at least you've got uh, an undoctored statement. So if somebody is, if one of your staff is uh, embezzling money, at least you'll be able to see the statement and they won't be able to get to it before you see it. 
um, have your staff sign on an account. If, if you do, put in a provision that amounts over a certain amount require two signatures. Have different colored checks, one for operating and one for trust, so that it's a visual clue which account you're writing checks on. Um, keep a ledger card for each client, including one for your own funds, to make sure that if you're doing things like um, having, uh, if, if you've got credit cards, the processing fees then can be covered with your money in there. Um, in a perfect world, you would have your credit card processor deposit money in the trust and then take out those fees from your operating account. Uh, and there are some, some folks that will do that, which is great. Remember that you have to have a paper trail for your trust account. That means no checks to cash and no ATM withdrawals because, again, there's got to be that, um, that uh, paper trail. Um, so those are just some tips in terms of managing your trust and business accounts. Reba, would you agree with me that far more lawyers have gotten in trouble and even uh, suspended or disbar disbarred because of the way they manage their trust account, uh, yet when we, when we look at the CLE schedule, everybody wants to learn how to cross-examine expert witnesses and take a deposition, but nobody wants to learn the, the nitty-gritty about managing client's money. You know, absolutely. And our Office of Attorney Regulation tells me that that is the, the most grievous um, situation that can, ha that, that can be brought to their attention. That's mishandling client funds. Their job is to protect the public and they jump all over that. So that's, the, in my view, that's the number one thing that's going to get you into trouble. You're right, Bill. I have a question, another question for you, Reba. Uh, how long should uh, an attorney wait after they've deposited, a, say, an insurance company check into a trust account before they disperse money to the client and providers and, and of course, pay their fee? You know, that is a good question. And we all know that clients are um, on the phone <laughs> even before the check gets deposited because they want to have it pulled out right away. I think in this day and age, you have to be so careful and do not succumb to client pressure. Give it time to clear and then, of course, check with the bank also. Now, even checking with the bank doesn't um, ensure that it's actually cleared. I know of a situation where the bank told the lawyer, oh, yeah, sure, it's cleared, and then come to find out two days later um, it had not cleared and, and, the, and the attorney was held responsible. So, you know, gosh, I mean, I, I would err on the side of waiting longer. And I once trusted the client not to deposit a check for all kinds of convoluted <laughs> reasons. Uh, she said, well, give me the check and I'll wait until next Thursday to deposit it. And, of course, she deposited it the same day. Mm -hmm. Oh, Bill, that's what you get for being so trusting and nice. That was 25 years ago and it was the last time. <laughs> Never happened again. Well, those are great tips, Reba, as far as having different colored checks and having uh, different mailing addresses. I think that's really smart. I want to add one quick thing, and that is you mentioned, you know, specifically talking to Colorado State listeners, and I want to encourage anyone else to look up and see if your state bar has a REBA. Many of our states have practice management advisors, so if you didn't know that, you can either go to your state bar and look, you know, see if there's somebody like REBA that's there to answer your questions for you. Also know that if you do a quick Google search for state bar practice management advisors, it's going to take you to the uh, Law Practice Division's page for pa practice management advisors. And if your state has one, 
they will all be listed there. Or maybe you're licensed in multiple states and you want to talk to somebody and quickly be able to look. So either check your state bar website or take a look at the big list that the American Bar Association's ABA Law Practice Management Division has. Okay, uh, so we've talked a little bit about, well, we talked about choosing our business entity and got some good advice there. We talked about our business and our trust accounts, got some good, great advice there. Let's talk real quick, Bill, about taxes. What can get me in hot water if I'm not careful? And what are the couple of things I've got to make sure and file, organize, pay, get, do? And you also mentioned uh, your EIN, your, your tax number. So make sure you mention what we have to think about there. Okay. Well, before I, before I give my advice, I'll take you back. 30 years to when I was uh, president of the, lo- the local uh, Young Lawyers Bar Association, and I was organizing a lunchtime CLE program, and I invited a lawyer who was, at the time, the biggest advertiser, and this was not too many years after lawyer advertising had had been ruled legal in Arizona, so, so some lawyers were, were jumping on it. So I brought him in to talk to our group. And I thought he was going to talk about advertising. And I said, John, what one piece of advice do you have for young lawyers just starting up their practice? And he said, pay your taxes. If you don't pay your taxes, you won't be advertising. And just two years ago, a high-profile lawyer here in Oregon got uh, disbarred because she had not only failed to pay her employee withholding tax, that's the tax that should be deducted and paid every time you run payroll, uh, but she gave her employees fake W-2 forms. That doesn't sound very smart. <laughs> no. So so his advice of uh, be sure to pay your taxes was critical. And uh, number one is employee withholding taxes. And my advice on how to avoid trouble with that is to have a payroll service. And we use an, an online payroll service. It's in the cloud. We enter all of the employee. I, I only have one employee, so I don't want to make this sound like it's a big production. But you enter the uh, gross wages and the withholding and all of that, and the payroll service makes a direct deposit into the the employee's checking account and cuts a check for the uh, for the taxes, and you don't have to think about it again. Uh, so the the more that you can automate those processes, the better. Because if you're relying on someone to find time to uh, run the payroll manually and uh, cut the checks and pay the payroll taxes, the more room there is for someone to make a mistake. You were asking about getting the uh, EIN or taxpayer ID number. That's something that can be done at the IRS website. It takes about 30 seconds. Uh, but you have, you have to do that in the beginning because the bank's going to want to know uh, what that number is. And every time you, as, as an arbitrator, every time I send a bill to someone, if I don't provide my taxpayer ID number, they call about it. So I put it on my letterhead. Yeah, you know what I did? I uploaded it to my website. So it's my company name, forward slash. And then the w, wait, uh, W9 is what they usually ask for that has it on there, right? That's right. So right on every single invoice that I send out is the link to the W-9. They never have to ask me for it. They can click it and get it. If they lose it or a new person in the accounting department needs to grab it, it's right there on every single invoice. Made it really easy for everybody. Well, that's all very good. Uh, Reba, anything you want to add as far as taxes and reminding people to pay, basically pay your taxes? It seems pretty easy. Three simple words, keeps you out of jail and trouble. Pay your taxes. 
You know, I, I agree. Um, one of the other things that folks get into trouble, and, and we're not going to go into great detail here, though, is to uh, whether or not you have those folks who are working with you, whether you consider them to be employees or contract labor. And particularly solos and small firms get into a lot of trouble with this, um, especially with the taxes. They they miscategorize those folks, and that will get you into trouble really fast. Same thing with overtime, um, whether whether they're exempt or not. So, um, you know, make sure that you check out the IRS guidelines for those kinds of things. And Adriana, you had a great tip about uh, checking to see if your state has a practice management advisor because they will have information on that as well. Yeah, that's great. Well, before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. Ready to create and build your own solo or small firm practice? Need a nuts and bolts education on the 360 degree experience of starting a business? There is only one online destination dedicated to helping you achieve your goals. Solo Practice University, the only online educational and professional networking community dedicated to lawyers and law students who want to go into practice for themselves. More than 1,000 classes, 58 faculty and mentors, What are you waiting for? Check out solopracticeuniversity.com today. Welcome back to New Solo. I'm Adriana Linares, and with me today is Reba Nance of the Colorado Bar Association and the amazing Mr. Bill Gibson, an attorney and arbitrator out of Oregon. So before we left off, we talked real quick about uh, choosing our business entity, sitting down and talking with a CPA that will hopefully stay with you for the for a long time and doesn't end up in jail. We talked about um, trust accounts and bank accounts and some important tax information. So for a couple minutes, let's talk about insurance. Reba, what's the deal with malpractice insurance? Do I have to have it? And I don't know if you can speak to this, but I think it would be great if you can give an average, and Bill, I'm gonna ask you the same too, what would someone expect to pay in malpractice insurance? And even if it's a broad range, because for me, if I was going to shop for that, I don't know whether I'm looking at $100 a year, $1,000 a year, or $10,000 a year. So tell us why we need it, if we need it, and then maybe how much it should cost in a range. Well, first of all, the only state I know that requires it is Oregon. Isn't that your understanding, Bill? Well, I, I didn't know that, but I know that Oregon requires it. Yeah. Uh, Oregon is the only state I know that requires it. Now, that said, though, um, I think it's a good idea, of course. Um, In Colorado, we recently set a new record for the amount of time between being sworn in and having a grievance filed against a new lawyer, and it's eight days. Um, (laughs) Hmm, Reba, does that have anything to do with any other new things going on in Colorado? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not, Adriana. (laughs) No, this was this this wasn't like within the last few weeks. It was a little while ago. Oh, okay. um, sorry. Go but, ahead. But but yeah, that's that's really scary. Um, you know, estimates are that there is at least a fifty percent chance that a lawyer in private practice will have a disciplinary complaint or a claim. And I've actually anecdotally heard that it's it's even um, even more likely to happen than that. So. Uh, I think it's a good idea that you have uh, malpractice insurance. And the ABA's Standing Committee on Lawyers' Professional Liability has a great website that has a, uh, a 
picture of the states and you can click on your individual state, get a list of the companies that can write in your state. It's got a glossary of terms. It's got some information about what to look for in a policy um, and tons more information. I would highly recommend that you, um, that you take a look at that because it really does have some great stuff. Now, in terms of the cost, um, you know, it's more like uh, a piece of string. Um, we in Colorado worked with our malpractice carrier to create a value plan for brand new lawyers because we know that it's expensive, um, limits are higher, that sort of thing. I check with our carrier about once a year because I get this question. You know, somebody, you're right, somebody doesn't know, is it 200 is it 2000 um, typically, if you're not on the value plan, last time I checked, it was about 1200 a year for brand new lawyers. I think with our value plan, it's a little bit less than that now. Um, and, and Bill, do you know? Just a range, Bill, if you have any idea of what a range, of, you know, what it should cost. Uh, in Oregon, we don't have a choice. The uh, Oregon State Bar Professional Liability Fund is the malpractice carrier, uh, and they charge little over 3000 a year and that's for uh, minimum limits of 300000 per incident. Uh, if you want higher coverage, they have uh, excess and I can't remember what that is. Uh, I used to have that when I was handling cases, but now that I'm an arbitrator, I don't have that same kind of risk. Well, that's okay. That's a good range. So somewhere, you know, between twelve hundred and maybe three thousand is maybe a number to consider. And then, Reba, quick question for you: You mentioned that is that a member benefit of the Colorado State Bar that they get a discount because they're going through a benefit from the bar? Well, we've got a discount if they attend discount. our annual Preventing Legal Malpractice, oh, and they're insured by the endorsed carrier. Great. So there are ways to get discounts, and and I know in Florida, which is you know where I'm based out of and do a lot of work, that Florida Lawyers Mutual Insurance Company is one of the ones that are always looking to give members of the bar discounts and great rates. So I think it does involve just shopping and definitely checking the state each state bar's member benefits listing and, and getting the best deal that you can. Do I have to tell my clients I have it? You know, states vary. Um, it's interesting because in Colorado, until recently, nobody had to tell anybody anything. And now what, what Colorado decided to do is you have to disclose on your annual renewal form, and by that I mean the form to be admitted to the bar to practice law in Colorado. You have to indicate whether you have it or not, and then that information is put on the Supreme Court's website. Frankly, the public has to know to go there to look, and I don't. I, I think most most folks don't have a clue um, yeah. and don't know to go do that. Some states, though, it's a very severe burden. For instance, there are states that require that you specify on your letterhead whether you have it or not, or if the coverage is less than hundred thousand dollars per claim. Um, some require that you notify your clients in writing whether you have it or not. So it varies widely. You want to make sure that you um, again are checking the rules in your particular state. Right. So that's the takeaway there. Make sure you figure out what your state requires so you're not breaking any rules or forgetting something important. Bill, what other types of insurance other than malpractice insurance do I have to think about when I'm starting my solo practice? Well, you have to have uh, general liability insurance for your office 
and uh, all the the equipment and you know fire loss things like that that's important uh, god forbid if somebody should trip and fall in the lobby of a personal injury lawyer but you really need you really need insurance to cover that <laughs> that uh, would be ironic <laughs> that would wouldn't it? the other thing you need is uh, if you're going to have any employees is to have workers comp insurance you might provide your employer employees with uh, health insurance. That's that's all changing now with the Affordable Care Act. But most uh, state or local bar associations offer some kinds of discounts for health insurance. Uh, another important thing is, especially if you're a solo, is some kind of income continuation insurance in case you get sick or you get injured, commonly called uh, you know long-term or short-term disability insurance. That's that's really important to have because most most lawyers, most sole practitioners, uh, really don't make a ton of money. They live uh, uh, paycheck to paycheck or big case to big case. In the case of personal injury lawyers, and uh, if you suffer a serious injury, uh, as have many attorneys who I know. Uh, the income stops once you quit going into the office. So some kind of income continuation insurance is a great idea. And if you're in your 20s or 30s or even 40s, you're starting out, it's not terribly expensive. It's not the kind of thing that you can go out and buy when you're 55 without paying a fortune. But if you're young and healthy, it's uh, not very expensive at all. No, that's great. All very good. And I, I just signed up for some umbrella insurance from through the, one of the ABA's offers, and it was very inexpensive, and my accountant himself told me it was totally worth it. So there's another reason to have a good relationship with an accountant. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. I want to thank Reba Nance of the Colorado Bar Association and Bill Gibson, attorney and arbitrator from Oregon, for coming on today. I really appreciate your time and your expertise. I'm going to ask each of you just real quick to tell everyone where they can learn more about you or what you're doing with your bar and, of course, how to get hold of any books you've written or videos you've um, put together out there. So, Bill, will you tell us a little bit about how readers or, excuse me, listeners can learn more about you? Sure. My website is uh, gibsonmediation.com. Uh, you can go there and get information about me. Uh, the books that I've written are all available at ababooks.com. Uh, the latest book we were talking about, Flying Solo 5th Edition, does have a chapter on working with uh, state and local bar lawyer assistance programs, law practice advisors. Lawyer assistance programs is something we didn't touch on, but that's uh, a program for lawyers who need counseling or uh, drug or alcohol treatment. That's another valuable program that's offered. So anyway, uh, that's where you find me. Great. What about you, Reba? You can find uh, our website at the Colorado Bar Association at www.cobar.org. And we have a listing on the left-hand side for practice management. We've got a lot of information there. Um, the Tech Tuesdays webinars we have are cobar.org slash Tech Tuesdays. And all of my tips that I give out uh, in this C-brief are archived there as well. Um, and, of course, you're always welcome to give me a call. Just go to our website and you'll be able to find me there. Well, that's great. Thank you both so very much. And for all you listeners who would like more information about what you've heard today, as well as New Solo, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. And don't forget to follow us on iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. So that brings us to the end of our show. I'm Adriana Linares. Thank you so much for listening. And join us next time for another great episode. And remember, you're not alone. You're New Solo. 
Thanks for listening to New Solo with host Adriana Linares. Tune in again to learn more about how to successfully run your new practice. Solo, here on Legal Talk Network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.